Good morning, church family. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Give our praise and worship team a round of applause, man. I've done that the last few Sundays. I really, really appreciate the effort those guys put into helping us worship the Lord and get in an attitude of worship. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verses 34 and 35 for our lesson this morning. We've been working through a series taken out of the New Testament called Follow Me to Church. And God has been teaching us about the local church, which which is a place that when we assemble together, we get our mission to live. We get our mission assignment. We find our purpose in life. And we understand that by God's grace and mercy and power that he can work through us to accomplish that mission. We also get examples to follow. The power and grace of God has been working in lives of men and women at this local congregation, in some cases for decade upon decade. And those of us who haven't been serving the Lord or grown in our maturity to the extent those individuals have can look to them and their example as they follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am thankful for the examples God has put in my life that help point me towards the cross. I hope you have some of those examples in your life, and I believe that God will continue to put examples in your life that will help point you to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the family that God has given us to love right here at WFR Church. And this may be one of the most important lessons you ever hear in life. Jesus says this is the most important thing he taught about, and what you're going to see this morning is that this embodies the primary character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you got your church app, I encourage you to pull that up. I'm going to be preaching from throughout the New Testament. I'm even going to hit Leviticus chapter 19, all right? So that's the, one of the first few books in the Bible and not one that we reference often. But I'm going to start in John chapter 13. In this passage of Scripture, our Lord Jesus is washing his disciples' feet right before he gets betrayed and arrested by some of the people that are closest to him. And in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is an interesting couple of verses. First, because the command Jesus gives his disciples is not actually new. So if you'd flip back to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, we would read, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Listen to this. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what is the difference about the command Jesus gave his disciples in John chapter 13? The difference is a phrase that Jesus uses. In verse 34, Jesus says, love one another. That's what we find in Leviticus. But then he describes the type of love that his people are supposed to demonstrate towards one another. This is profound. This is powerful. Church family, this will change your life. 
What kind of love should the disciples of Jesus demonstrate towards one another? He says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Let me say that one more time. As Jesus has loved you, so you should love one another. What does the love of our Lord Jesus look like, church? What is that kind of love? I want to read a passage of Scripture that should be very heavy for us to cover this morning. I've got this on screen for you. This is Matthew chapter 27. Now, I want to prepare you. This is the scourging of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is His torture and His humiliation. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head Again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced Jesus, they forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I want you to reconsider what Jesus told his disciples in the upper room that day when he washed their feet. I'm giving you a new command. I want you to love one another, but I want you to love one another as I have loved you with the kind of love demonstrated by Jesus Christ himself on the cross of Calvary. Church, we need to understand that at the core of the ministry and message of the Lord Jesus Christ is love. That's the core of of the ministry and message of our Lord. The cross was the center of Jesus' mission and an act of love freely offered to every person in the history of the world. Sure, there were some things that Jesus focused on regularly as he preached and taught in his earthly ministry. So often we hear in churches that Jesus spoke about money more than he did anything else, and that's true. But money is one thing that competes in your heart for your love, which is why Jesus would focus on money so often. It is so easy to fall into the trap of loving money and valuing material things above people. Jesus had to focus on that a lot. He also spoke consistently about the kingdom of God and taught about salvation and also sin. But all those messages are centered around the cross of Jesus, which demonstrated his love. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, I want you to write this down. 
John the Revelator says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But not for our sins only, also for the sins of the whole entire world. One of the most distinct attributes of the life of Jesus is his love for everyone. Jesus healed sick people. He fed hungry people. He encouraged and ministered to broken people. And he taught his disciples to do the same thing. Listen to this, church. The number one mark of a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is outlined clearly by our Lord himself. And you know what that's supposed to be? The way we love one another. The way you love the people sitting next to you is supposed to be the primary distinct feature that the rest of the world recognizes about you that sets you apart and identifies you as a follower of Jesus Christ. How you love each other. Jesus said there was one thing in the world that would separate you and I from everyone else, and that's our love. Our love for other Christians. Now, Jesus also talked about how we love people who are not Christians. That's in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard this. You may want to jot it down. I'm going to read it to you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So right now, some of you have this inner voice going on in your mind. And the inner voice is kind of saying, you know what though, Trent? One of the most significant problems in our culture today is love defined by tolerance. We've tolerated sin in the name of love and have allowed people literally to walk destructive paths in the name of love defined by tolerance. When we hear a sermon on love, no doubt this comes to mind and that inner voice says, yeah, we're supposed to love people, but didn't Jesus confront people? Didn't Jesus turn over the tables of the money changers in the temple? Didn't he rebuke the religious leaders of his day? Didn't Jesus directly speak out against sin? Sure, Trent, I'm going to love people, but love sometimes has to be tough. And I would say that's absolutely true. The church in the United States of America today needs to rise up and speak against sin and unrighteousness both within the church and outside the church. We've got to take a stand against sexual immorality. Amen. See, I was right. I knew you had that inner voice going. We've got to take a stand against sexual immorality. We have to protect the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. You and I have to defend the rights of the unborn 
and teach against making anything in this world the center of our lives instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is idolatry. That is our responsibility, okay? Now let me pause that line of thought. Because I think there are churches that are doing just that. I believe our church is a church that has taken a stand on the truth of the Word of God. And I believe our leaders, who are the examples I look to that follow Jesus as I'm trying to follow Jesus, have been very clear on that stuff. And I'm thankful for that. But the world sometimes has difficulty hearing that teaching. The world sometimes can't receive that truth. Why? Because you and I aren't living the way Jesus demanded that we live. And we're too caught up in the message without having mastered the method. When you and I shoot each other down, when we talk bad about each other, and when we disagree over very small, non-essential theological issues, the enemy of God, Satan himself, looks at us and smiles with delight. And the world becomes completely numb to our message. When you and I don't make genuine sacrifices of our time, genuine sacrifices of our energy. And can I just say, I've got all deference for ladies and gentlemen who live in the state of Louisiana in June, July, and August for the sacrifices of their energy. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all were in the Rustin uh, Peach Festival uh, yesterday, and you lost about 17 pounds in the sweltering heat. Can I get a witness? I I need you to hear this. When you and I don't make genuine sacrifices of time and genuine sacrifices of energy and genuine sacrifices of money to help one another and encourage one another, then we cannot be identified as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes us look exactly like the world. And our message falls on deaf ears as a result, that's a tragedy. And it's, I would say it's the most common tool the enemy uses to make the church ineffective. And look, I'm all about making the church effective at reaching the lost. Paul said, I would become all things to all men so that I could save some. And we have to think about meeting people where they're at so that they don't stay where they are at. But before we really get into all that, ladies and gentlemen, you and I and our screen family watching online, we have to master what I believe is the most important first quality of a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is love. You got a really important question to answer today. Do you really love other followers of Jesus? Do you? Yes. If you do, then prove it. If you really love other followers of Jesus with the love of Jesus Christ himself, prove it. 
One reason why we are rolling out our rooted experiences this September and offering our church and everyone in this community that wants to participate the opportunity to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is because we want to give you the opportunity to put God's word into practice and show people how true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ love each other. That's why I want you to get involved in a rooted experience when we roll those out in September. Remember what it means to truly love others with the love of the Lord. Here's some questions you need to ask yourself as I hope you'll take a minute while I am preaching to glance around the auditorium. Would you be willing to carry the cross of every single person under the sound of my voice right now? Just look around a little bit. Would you be willing not just to carry their crosses, but think about this. But carry their crosses right up to and even past your own breaking point. That's the message of Matthew 27. Jesus is carrying your cross and mine and he carries it to his own breaking point. And what happens at that moment? They got to get some guy named Simon to shoulder the cross for a little bit. Jesus carried our cross past his breaking point and then some by being crucified on the very cross he was carrying. Would you be willing to carry each person's cross in this room, not just up to your breaking point, but even past it? Now think about this. Would you be willing to carry everyone's cross in your own home? up to your breaking point, and even past it. And some of us haven't even mastered that. How can we master this? And then how can we show our whole community the love of Jesus Christ? This is easy to do when everything's going great. But when the going gets tough, we really see with clarity the character of our own heart. We don't just love people until it hurts We love people way beyond hurt. Think about this. Jesus never met someone on the planet that he did not love this much. Jesus never laid eyes on somebody he wasn't willing to go to his breaking point and beyond for. Even the people who were humiliating him in the praetorium, the whole guard, even those people who were humiliating him... He loved enough to carry their cross to his breaking point and beyond. That's why I read 1 John and 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. That's you and I who are in Christ. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Which means that you too will never lay eyes on somebody that Jesus wasn't willing to love past his breaking point. Are you willing to be humiliated by someone and love them Despite your humiliation? Are you willing to be treated badly by someone and love them despite how badly they treat you? What about when your needs are not met or people speak poorly of you? Will you love them not just up to but past your breaking point? Another way to test our love thermometer is found in John 15. I got this on the screen for you couple of chapters after the first text that I read, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Here's verse 11. This is the love thermometer, I think. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Joy is the way to assess how well you love others. And here's what Jesus ends up saying in John 15, 12. So he's saying, keep my commands and you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Great, Jesus, we want to remain in your love. What's the commandments that we need to follow? What are the commandments we need to follow so that that can happen? And Jesus says, very simply, my command is this. Love one another with the love I've shown for you. Then my joy will be in you, backing up a verse, and your joy will be complete. I got this little diagram that I made for you that I also have on the screen. The Greek word here for joy is kara, C-H-A-R-A, C-H-A-R-A. This is distinct from happiness, which is about an emotion, okay, and also is distinct from pleasure, which is about a physical feeling. Kara, C-H-A-R-A, is kind of the root word that we get our longer word from, character. Joy and a state of joy eventually becomes your character. And your character isn't influenced by how you feel or shouldn't be. And also shouldn't be influenced by things in the material world, pleasure. So ask yourself a question. Is the only time I really feel joy when things are going my way emotionally and I feel happy? Or is the only time I feel joy when things in this life are really going well? Let me tell you a quick story. I had uh, the Stewarts over and Kurt Lively over to my house. Uh, Friday night, I'm still recovering from the steak coma that I've been in for a few days. And these guys really showed this kind of love to me. Kurt uh, pulled a flatbed trailer over to my house and had his grill tied to the flatbed trailer. They pull up in my front driveway, get some charcoal going, toss some steaks on. And I thought to myself, man, everybody that drives by is going to see these guys grilling in my driveway. And they're going to think, what, what's going on at Trent's house? And that's exactly what people should say when they see disciples of Jesus loving each other. What in the world is going on in this person's life? And can I just say, the joy I feel at the love you guys showed to my family and I, that was this kind of complete joy. Now, the steaks were good, but, and the dessert was good, but man, the love, that was what was satisfying. You are designed to experience that same kind of love. Love that's not based on pleasure or the physical world or happiness, which is the emotional world. But love that comes from being molded into, man, this is good preaching here. The character, character, C-H-A-R-A, cara, which is the word for joy, character of Jesus Christ himself. This is not Trent's teaching This is straight from the Word of God. You want to know what the first fruit of the Spirit is that's mentioned? 
It's love. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me read this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things there, against such things, there is no law. It's almost as if Paul is saying the first thing you got to master to get every other kind of spiritual fruit manifested in your life is to master love, the kind of love that Jesus showed for each of us. Think about that. If I, if I love others, I get joy that according to Jesus in John 15 is complete. My joy is complete. My character becomes that of Jesus Christ. And I get peace. And then I become patient with people, forbearing one another in love. I become kind. And my life would be described as good and faithful and gentle. And I would be self-controlled. When Paul is asked, how should we live? When we don't know what to do in life, what do we need to do? I mean, there's these laws in the Old Testament and, and, and other things that we have to consider. In Romans 13, Paul says it pretty simply and plainly. I've got this on the screen for you. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That's our debt. To love each other. Let no debt remain except that one. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. When you don't know what to do in Jesus Christ, (laughs) love somebody especially those of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Alexander the Great, I read this story in a devotional a while back. Alexander the Great heard that a young man in his army ran and hid in the middle of a really fierce battle. And this guy was some general in his army. So they brought this guy to Alexander. And they said, Alexander, look, this guy is a coward in in the middle of battle. He ran and hid. It was when his men needed him the most. you got to punish this guy. So this guy's just terrified, and Alexander says, get over here. The guy's bowing before him, and Alexander the Great says, what is your name? And as the story goes, this guy says, Alexander. And Alexander the Great says, I said, tell me what your name is. And a little bit louder, this guy says, Alexander. He said, if you don't speak up, I will end your life right now. I said, tell me what your name is. And the young man at at the top of his voice says, my name's Alexander. And Alexander the Great looks at this guy and he says, then either change your conduct or change your name. I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ would look at us and say the same thing. What is your name? And if we bear the name of Christ and call ourselves Christian, when we are standing at the feet of Jesus, would we have to say, Christian? And he say, Trent, change your conduct or change your name. To look at at a definition of love, and I'm going to wrap here. I'm not going to keep you much longer. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 is a pretty good summary. And I want to leave you with this in closing. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of, of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. The truth about true love is that true love first, if you took everything I've read today and, and, and really tried to get what the Word of God says and just a few thoughts, true love is centered on others. It really is selfless. And you have the gut check moment of looking around this room and asking yourself, do I really put the needs of the people sitting to my right and left in front of me and behind me above the needs of myself. True love also endures hardship. There is no moment that causes those who describe themselves as followers of Jesus to back away. Instead, true love remains committed even through the toughest times. True love also moves really slow. Slow to anger. Slow to keep record of wrongs. Slow to seek revenge. Slow to practice quid pro quo where I return to you what I feel like's been done to me. In our culture, we call, we, we describe that by the phrase, turnabout is, is fair play. Sometimes true love has to set a boundary, but that happens very slowly and very prayerfully. True love's patient. True love is also reliable. True love can be trusted, in other words, through even the darkest night, the fiercest storm, or the most raging hurricane force wind. And here's the capital T truth about true love. True love always wins. It it never fails. True love will never lead you astray. True love will never cause you to, to... Live in defeat. True love will always win in your life. That's the me- if that's the core central mes- message of the cross, then maybe that's the plainest statement I could leave you with in my lesson today. Do you lack a sense of joy? Are you living feeling defeated? Then either change your conduct... And start to practice the love of the Lord or change your name, church. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, we are all challenged when we look at the love of Jesus Christ and we realize it is this love that we are supposed to display towards one another. Love that doesn't just put our, push us to our breaking point, but even pushes us past our breaking point. And I pray that those of us who bear the name of our Lord Jesus would not take that lightly and would, and would be willing to bear that burden so that we can live in complete joy and victory. God, I know some people under the sound of my voice are, are listening online. Our screen family have some needs. And I pray that if any of those needs need to be met, In a unique way, I ask those people would respond this morning and come forward so that our church could encourage and surround and uplift them. 
I ask your blessing over this church that we really love one another and all churches all across the world. I pray these prayers in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.